This is it. Episode episode 205, No Laugh Track Podcast. This is Justin Severson, the host. Thank you, Circle of Heat, for letting us play your music there at the beginning. Uh, we got a return guest today, one of my favorites. He has He's always full of tons of stories. He's seen uh, more than I and most people I know will ever see part of the uh, parts of the world. I've never even been to Canada, and this man has been hmm. to more... Uh, pl- you, have you been on other planets yet? It's Tom Rhodes. Tom Rhodes is here. Have you visited other <laughs> hey, planets Justin, yet? Hey, uh, Justin. Uh, only psychedelically. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, welcome back. Thanks, man, and congratulations on your lack of facial hair. <laughs> uh, last night, I, show, I, I did this. I had the goatee for years and years. I just cut off the beard yesterday after I was working, and then I went to uh, an event that my wife was at. And just showed up with a mustache. And in front of people, many people she didn't know, she told all of them I look like a pedophile with just a mustache. Ha. Yeah. Yeah, the mustache, that's, you know, 70s porn star. I was never going to leave it. Yeah. It was f- for the shock value. Well, the big trend for young hipsters in America now is the long beard. Yeah. And I think any young man wearing a long beard in America today secretly fears a Muslim invasion. Is that it? Yeah. In case ISIS ever takes over, when they get here, they're going to be like, I was on your side the whole time. You know what, though? See? You know what, though? All the uh, young uh, white males with beards nowadays, they all, I've learned because my buddy has one, he has actually gone into business creating a beard oil. Hmm. Yeah, so that's going to be the difference. Do does ISIS use beard oil? <laughs> I don't think uh, they do. <laughs> uh, only the blood of Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and we're off. And we are off. Yeah, uh, the tears of sex slaves. Th- that's that's r- what they <laughs> use to oil their beards. Yeah, you don't have to go to a store to buy that. It's much cheaper. <laughs> that's living green, sir. That's what that is. That's living green. Um, where should we start here? Where I know, do we start, buddy? I know from doing uh, my vast research that things have uh, things have changed for you in the last year. Because oh, you mean you overheard me talking to Lewis at the bar? No, before. I knew that. <laughs> no, no, no. That just reaffirmed of what I read was true. Uh, because we have had uh, long talks on this podcast about, and I've teased you about, I remember asking you about, so you don't have a lawn to mow. You don't have a, a refrigerator with anything in it because you were living on the road. Just travel, I travel, travel. put everything into storage 10 years ago, and I did not live anywhere for 10 years. Yeah. I had everything in storage and traveled the world uh, as a comedian. Uh, like two years ago, I, I did five months in Europe, a month in Asia, Normally, I would do six months of the year out of the United States and then six months relentlessly playing all over North America. Right. And my wife has been with me for eight years. So um, four years in a row, when we had time off, we would go to Rome and rent an apartment. <clears throat> Sleepinitaly.com, if you're ever interested. Uh, the area around the Vatican is really fantastic. There's an the expensive shopping street there. Um, it's only like four blocks from the Vatican. It's uh-huh. great. I've been to Mass twice at the Vatican. <laughs> is that the Pope on your bag right there? That is the Pope. I got that at the uh, <laughs> I got that at the Vatican gift shop. Really? Yeah. They have a gift shop there. It's really awesome. Uh, and two years ago, my wife and I, uh, I did a month in Asia, and then we went to Bali uh, for a couple weeks. Yeah. And uh, I stopped drinking two years ago. Okay. So um, when I was still drinking, we used to go to New Orleans a lot. When we were in the States and we had time off. Yeah. Key West, San Francisco. Um, so, like, whenever we had time off, we would go somewhere. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, we got an apartment in Los Angeles 10 months ago. Congrats. And it's, it's been pretty awesome, man. You do uh, like it, it. Well, I mean, it was really interesting to get everything out of storage and see what I've been holding on to for all these years. I bet. Uh, but, I mean, I didn't have any furniture. Uh, when I moved to Amsterdam, I lived in Amsterdam for five years. Yeah. Um, when I first moved to Amsterdam, I threw everything into storage. And then I got it out, and I was living in Los Angeles for a couple years. And then when I put everything back into storage 10 years ago, um, I got rid of all the furniture. I gave it to comedians that I knew needed, you know, you need a TV, this guy needs a yeah. coffee table. And I really reduced it down to my most precious possessions, which um, uh, my book collection. I've got like two or 3,000 books. Uh, you know, always been a 
avid, voracious reader. I have a massive vinyl record collection, uh, CD collection. Uh, I still have I have four milk crates full of cassette tapes. You gotta do something with those. No, they're great, man. I've been listening to them. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, really awesome. Because like when I first started going on the road, um, <clears throat> uh, I I started being a comedian when I was seventeen. So these are like the cassettes I was listening to. Oh. Like your music. My actual, That's your music. My cassette collect before CDs came out. Sure. Oh yeah. I had a I've always been into music. So yeah. it's like, you know, James Brown's greatest hits, uh The Replacements, yeah. um Elvis Costello. When was the last time you heard uh My Aim is True? I found that cassette. Oh my god. My aim is true. I heard you got a husband now. <laughs> it's been a long time. Man. So really great. And actually when Prince died, uh, I, I've been a huge Prince fan my whole life. When I was in 10th grade, uh, or no, I guess it was 11th grade, 1984, when Purple Rain came out, yeah. I saw Prince at the Lakeland Civic Center on the Purple Rain tour, and Sheila E. opened. Um, and so, like, when he died, and, and then when I, I, I was invited to Paisley Park in 1995 when I played here. I'll tell you that story in a minute. Yeah. But, so when Prince died... Like everyone else, I just wanted to listen to Prince nonstop. Of course. So I've got about um, 10 or 15 of his CDs, and I knew I had more Prince uh, on cassette. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I hadn't listened to these cassettes in years, so I, I pulled out from the closet these milk crates, and I've got like, I had like five of his. Um, of his albums on on cassette, so I was disappointed. So that made me look through. I'm like, man, there was some really great stuff. Oh yeah. Here. You know, I mean, I've got a lot of duplicates, things that are on that I have on CD and vinyl. Oh, yeah. But um, something about the the cassettes are pretty cool. Was the cassette player in storage as well? No, no, I had uh, I'd never I didn't have a cassette player for years, and um, Best Buy sells this. Uh, it's it's this wooden box that's a vinyl record player, a CD player, and on the side it's got a cassette. Oh player. yeah. That, that's for like transferring stuff, right? Can you do that? No, on no, 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 no. It's not that one. Oh, it's no. just a player. It's a different one. It's okay. a player. Yeah. Nice. It doesn't have rewind, but you just <laughs> stick it in and play. Um, so that was been pretty. And, you know, and the, <clears throat> there was so much stuff that, you know, uh, Woody Allen's comedy records, you know, jazz records um, that I first got into, Miles Davis, um, John Coltrane. When I, li- I moved to San Francisco in 1991, and I lived two blocks from the African Orthodox Church of St. John, which is the Church of John Coltrane. Oh, wow. And, uh, and they never—it was the first place I ever saw um, a photo of a black Jesus. Wow. And they, they didn't talk. They just played jazz. And then there'd be music uh, instruments on all the pews, and everyone was encouraged to uh, join in because we're all a part of the music. Wow. Yeah. That would make uh, church a lot more appealing, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. So really cool. Like my book collection, uh, really great to, to you know, uh, reread Voltaire and uh, a, a lot of different books and things I'm really into. Did you find any money stashed anywhere? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, 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 uh, buckets of, of coins. Yeah. Things like that, you know, maybe a, you know, a five and a coat, something like that here and there. That's all right. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed. I I did the same thing. I went when Prince died. I looked. I immediately went through all my stuff to find everything Prince I had. I, had I was a, a massive fan, man. Yeah, I had less than I <clears> thought. So I'm in '94, '84 uh, on the Purple Rain tour, and then 1995 when I played at Acme. Uh, I was the face of Comedy Central the first few years. Yeah. Um, of the network's existence. And I did this special called Viva Vietnam, where I went to Vietnam um, and did a travel log. My father had fought in the war there, and my dad flew helicopters. He was shot down. He saved um, all these guys' lives. My dad's a decorated uh, war hero. He's, he's dead now. He's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. But he was still alive at the time. Bill Clinton lifted the travel ban on Vietnam the way Obama just lifted it for Cuba. Cuba, yeah. And I went there in September 94, filmed this special where I went all over Vietnam, did some really funny things. I did the Jane Fonda workout tape in Hanoi. 
<clears throat> with these um, old women that were doing Tai Chi in a park. Uh, I set up a slip and slide on China Beach, the world's most dangerous place to set up a slip and slide. Uh, and I brought Rock'em Sock'em robots with me. And so I fought people wherever I went. All uh-huh. over. It was like the rematch. Yeah. And <clears throat> so that kind of put me on the map. It was, so that came on April 95 uh, for the 20th anniversary of the end of the war. And Prince's keyboard player, uh, Tommy something, I forget his last name, he came to see me at Acme, and he was a fan. And at the time, Prince was doing these, uh, every Saturday he would do a late-night jam, Yeah, these private parties. And so I got invited, and I went, I took the other two comedians I was working with. There's a local comedian guy from uh, Minnesota, he lives in Des Moines now, um, um... I'm blanking on his name. He declined to go with us that night. And when Prince died, he sent me a a message on Facebook and said, man, I still regret not going with you that night. (laughs) So it was such a great night. Um, This guy, Tommy, the keyboard player, gave me a week. I got there like an hour early um, because it started at 2 in the morning, and he gave me a private tour of Paisley Park. I got to see uh, in the basement he had all these cars and the, the motorcycle from Purple Rain. I saw the recording studio, you know, the airplane hangar where the where he performed, and then he shot his videos. Yeah. And then I, I actually got to I rode the elevator that he he died in. Oh wow! Um, he took me on the on the upstairs level. There was a room Prince had where he had his his clothes made. It was like five or six sewing machines, and then all these beautiful fabrics and big rolls of it. And like, so I'm sure he designed it. I'm sure he had a designer, but the guy had his own clothes being made. On I didn't the, know on, that. Yeah, and I and I think that is what stuck in my head when I first started going to Hong Kong. I started having really pimp suits made, <laughs> and I think the seed was planted uh, by <laughs> Prince. Met. So he played from two in the morning until like five in the morning. He was with Mai Tay, uh, and she, it was her birthday, if I remember correctly. Okay. And she had this white flowing outfit on, and she danced all around while he jammed. And he had that, that white guitar. Like, real Prince fans would know, though. It was this mm-hmm. really, it looked like a musical symbol. Yes. This white guitar. Mm-hmm. And he wailed like yeah. Hendrix. It just, it just, uh, and there was only like 50 people there. And he was walking around before and afterwards. Wow. And, like, the guy was, like, right in front of me. Yeah. And I, 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 um, I was like a teenage girl. I bet. I mean, I, I'm really proud of myself that I, 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 I composed myself. And, you know, I, I, I said hello when he said hello. But uh, I'm glad I didn't, you know, blurt out anything stupid, yeah. you know. Wow. And then I saw him um, at the Oakland Arena where uh, the Warriors play when I lived in San Francisco. And I took the BART train to see him. And uh, the BART stopped riding at 12, and Prince started late that night. And then the concert ended at, like, 1 in the morning. And I remember all these people in the parking lot pissed that the train back to San Francisco uh, was was done running for the night, and everyone had to spend like a hundred dollar taxi ride. I, I had to spend like a hundred bucks to get a taxi back to the city, and I remember all these people pissed. And uh, you know, when he died, every one of those people were like, "Oh yeah, I saw him. Oh, he was great." They right. Never, like, right. That they were mm-hmm. they were cursing the man. Yeah, they were absolutely cursing. Him. It was a funny thing that happened during that concert. I remember Prince saying, "I was in like the tenth row," um, and he, he was. If you believe in God, point to the sky. And I pointed up, and then I turned around in this big Oakland arena, and I look around, and only, like, me and 12 other people were doing it. I was like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, and then I saw him once also at the Bill Graham um, Auditorium in San Francisco. Amazing. Prince had a store in London, in Camden Town, the really cool part of London, uh-huh. um, in the early 90s. It was the New Power Generation store, and they sold all these different colored condoms. And all the condoms were the names of different Prince songs. Uh-huh. Like Peach was Peach, Raspberry was Raspberry, Red was Little Red Corvette, <laughs> The Purple was Purple Rain. It was adorable. <laughs> yeah. What, you know, uh, it would have been 
maybe we'll still find out now that he's gone that uh, did he possibly name those songs in advance? Just to, we got to get a, every album's <laughs> got to have to have a song with a color in it. What's your favorite Prince song? Let's go crazy. Okay. Yep. My always gets favorite Prince song is called "Call My Name," and it's on the Musicology album. Okay. And that uh, came on <clears throat> came out I think something like 2002. I was living in Amsterdam. And uh, George Bush, the um, uh, Patriot Act, they were bugging people's homes. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, Prince makes a uh, anti-Patriot Act statement in the song. Um, he says, uh, I heard a voice on the news saying people want to stop the war. And then the chorus goes, stop the war. If they had a love as sweet as you, they would forget what they were fighting for. What's the matter with the world today? Land of the free, somebody lied. They can bug my phone, surround my home. They'll only see me and you making love inside. Damn. (laughs) Damn. I love that. Like, if the government was, like, monitoring his house, they'd just see his purple little ass going going up and down. Prince is doing his Prince thing. Leave him alone. (laughs) Leave him alone. Um, I want to ask you about some stuff I saw on uh, your social media feed. Is, you have a bobblehead collection? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Was that in storage all these years? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I actually, I've, I've, I've talked about it on stage because it was, you know, really interesting to get everything out of storage after 10 years. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of outdated electronics, you know. It was a, a time capsule. I bet. But my father died in 2009 he was actually killed by a drunk driver rich guy who got away with a light probation fuck uh there's your american justice system yeah and uh i put a lot of my dad's stuff in uh i got to look through his belongings after he died and i put a lot of his stuff in in storage my dad was living in anaheim and i put all my stuff in storage in anaheim okay because hollywood in los angeles is very expensive but um, you can get a really cheap storage unit in Anaheim. So if you're ever thinking about putting stuff in storage in the Los Angeles area, right. keep that in mind. <laughs> um, so my dad collected bobblehead dolls. Whenever we would go to a Major League Baseball stadium together around the country, he always had to get a bobblehead. And I always thought it was stupid, to uh-huh. be honest with you. Yeah. And now that he's dead and I have them, I think they're kind of cool. Yeah. And I got like 30 of them. And because I live in Los Angeles, they are now my earthquake detection system. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. But I had a few. A few of them were mine. I, uh, okay. If you saw a photo. There was a Colonel uh, there's Sanders. There's one of the Pope, Pope Francis. I got that also at the Vatican gift shop. Of course. Uh, there's a um, con- Colonel Sanders uh, bobblehead that's mine and also an Evil Knievel. Bobblehead, that's mine. But all these really great baseball ones. My dad, um, he had, because uh, my family's originally from Washington, D.C. Then we moved to Orlando. <clears throat> so my dad had a, a Washington Senators Ooh. bobblehead player, and it was a black player, which is really cool. Really? Because he bought it in, like, the 60s. And you sure this wasn't some knockoff he bought, like, down the street no, from the stadium? No, 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 <laughs> because I remember uh, as a kid, we had it displayed in our house. And we, the, the, it, its chin is gone because stupid kids, we oh, like hit the head knocked the it over, playing, yeah. throwing balls around sure. in the house and stuff. Um, we broke it. But my dad's got a Roberto Clemente, uh, you know, Cincinnati Reds, a Cubs that's like a little, you know, Cub oh, yeah. person. The ones that are like the little mascot, like a sure. Atlanta Braves, and it's an, it's an Indian head. Yeah. Um, and these are all vintage. These aren't like the. Yeah, no, these aren't the recreations. Yeah, these that's are. Great. These are ones that were collected yeah. from the 60s through the 70s and 80s. You've, have you, the real uh, ceramic ones, not the right. the small head plastic ones. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, looked, going through all your stuff, did you look up, like, I wonder what this is worth? No, there's things Anything? that I have that I wouldn't sell. You know, and my dad really saved a lot of great things. Uh, I, 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 I had a really, my dad's the reason I'm a comedian. My dad took me to... Um, my dad loved Richard Pryor. My dad had all these comedy albums that I grew up with. <clears throat> and uh, my dad took me to see my uncle do open mic nights in Washington, D.C. in 1978. And the entrance was by the stage. 
And we walked in, and I had a Washington Redskins jacket on. And the comedian on stage pulled me on stage, and he interviewed me like I was the coach of the Redskins. And I was 11, and I only gave bashful, dopey, dopey one-word answers, mm-hmm. like yes and no. But I'll never forget standing on that stage and seeing all those happy people with their heads thrown back in laughter yeah. and all the teeth in their mouth. And that moment changed my life. It's the reason I'm a comedian. And with then all my, the Redskins my, jacket. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> now. What'd you say? You're not wearing a Redskins jacket now as part of your... Uh... Uh, yeah, I sh- that should be my thing, right? Yeah, right. Um, but, and then my dad drove me to my first open mic night uh, when I was 17 because I didn't have a car. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, when I had my sitcom, my dad sat in the front row and watched every episode being awesome. filmed. Um, I had a really close relationship with my dad. So this stuff, <clears throat> like, he saved... I saw Rodney Dangerfield when I was 15. Oh, Rodney wow. Dangerfield was my hero when I was 15. I, I was like, I memorized all of his jokes, and I would tell him at school, hey, my wife, she's so fat. And like all my friends are like, you're not married, bro. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know? My doctor, Vinny Vumbas. You don't have a doctor, man. <clears throat> so uh, my dad, I say he saved, um, I bought a concert shirt, and it's a medium. I found it in my dad's stuff when, when he died. Cool. And then uh, here's a funny thing, I, I, which I also put on uh, Twitter. Um, so being from Washington, D.C., when the, my dad took my, me and my two older brothers to the last Washington Senators game, I think I was like four or five. And so then my family became Baltimore Oriole fans. So when I was a kid... Jim Palmer was my favorite, one of my favorite baseball players. And uh, for younger people may not remember him, but he was really handsome. Yeah. And he, uh, he won four Cy Young Awards. He was a really phenomenal pitcher. But he was so handsome, uh, he was the spokesman for jockey underwear. That's right. The way, like, David Beckham is for, like, Calvin Klein or yeah. whatever it is now. And so on billboards and in magazine advertisements in the 1980s, were these, you know, it was ubiquitous at the time. Jim Palmer in his underwear. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. he had this great physique and jockey underwear. <laughs> yeah. So when I was 12, it was in the local newspaper that Jim Palmer was going to be at the local mall. So my dad took me to see my hero. And I stood in line for like an hour. And I'll never forget it, man. Uh, I got to the front, and it's Jim Palmer, my, my hero. And I, I said, Jim, could you sign it? To my pal, Tom. And he signed the poster to my pal, Tom. And I went home and I taped this poster next to my bed. And for like three years, this poster of Jim Palmer uh, in nothing but blue underwear looked down on me. It was a it was a he was doing an he was doing an advertising uh, junket for jockey underwear. And like, you know, how I turned out heterosexual looking at this. You know, dreamy guy in his underwear. Yeah. My innocent little 12-year-old head dreaming next to his blue knob. Mm-hmm. I had a, uh, there was a hockey player for the Minnesota North Stars named Dino Cicerelli. He's in the Hall of Fame now. <laughs> he came over in his underwear? Uh, well, that actually, there's, boy, that brings up other things about him. He he got in, in a lot of trouble in the 80s from going out to get his newspaper naked, actually, ah. in Bloomington, Minnesota. But that's not what he, I was going to say. I went to an autograph signing of his. You were his paper boy. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was a paper boy, not in that neighborhood. Um, I went to an autograph signing of his, probably like 10 or 11 years old. Okay. And the post, and I brought it home <laughs> immediately and put it up on my wall. Same deal. It was up there for years. And in this picture... He's shirtless with just his, uh, you know, hockey breezers on, and he's kind of leaning over and tying one of his skates and looking up with this, wow. yeah, this smile. I'm, my buddy's mom had a huge crush on this guy. That's why we ended up going. But yeah, same deal. Cool. I had well. So, Dino, when, my, so when my Dino. dad died, I found that poster. He had saved it. Nice. All these years. So like things like that. Uh, oh, and my dad saved my baseball card collection. Uh, I, I, I don't know how many it is, but like I would never – this goes back to what you asked me a minute ago. I forget about – oh, about trying to um, – The value. Find out the value. Uh, I, I, you know, I would never sell it. It yeah. means too much to me. I got some great uh, – I love books. I love reading. I, I've, I have two signed Charles Bukowski books. One I bought 
uh, in the 90s, and it cost 300 bucks. And uh, they only made a thousand of them. Uh, it catches my heart in its hands, and uh, it's from 1963. And all the pages are different colors. It's really a beautiful book. Wow! Um, but I'm sure that's got to be worth a lot of money. Uh, I would never sell it. It's it's probably uh, one of my most prized possessions. Yeah. You so know? you still have the Rodney shirt? I do. The medium? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when my dad flew helicopters in Vietnam, he had a little. I was two years old, and he had a little flight suit made for me, uh, with his. It's got his helicopter unit patch, and and where it says the name, it says Tommy. Oh, yeah, it's really cool. So oh, I got some really cool stuff. Yeah, that um, that I found in storage. Wow, that's really cool. I um, we were we talked. I don't think yeah, that was before we started recording. We talked about last time you were in town, um, and you went to a Twins game. You yeah, gonna, it was in April, and it was in the 30s. You going to go? They're, uh, they have a day game tomorrow. <clears throat> I might go, actually. Yeah. yeah. Playing the Phillies. Oh, wow. Another Great. terrible team. Are the Phillies bad? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the Twins are awful this year. I saw another thing I saw. Did you go to a Yankee? Have you been going to baseball games this year? I saw a picture from a Yankees I game. went to see the Yankees. Nice. Yeah. That was the only game I've been to this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always get Chicago booked in September. To go see the Cubs because they're normally out of it yeah. by then. Yeah. And uh, it was about five years ago I saw the Cubs. My wife's from Holland, you know, so she's she's she goes to games with me like to humor me, you know. That's that's and so like good she, of her. She'll only appreciate like one game a, a year. We saw the Cubs. It was at the end of the season. Uh, it was like I don't know three or four years ago. They were playing the Pirates, and the game lasted like four hours. It was on a Sunday. It was it went eleven innings. It was so great. And then the next day, on the Monday, they had the. It was like the end of the season, the last game of the homestand against the Pirates, and the a big rainstorm hit Chicago. And then they said the game had to be played because it was the you know it couldn't be rescheduled. Yeah, no was, makeup days. It was like yeah. the, the end of the season. So they said the the game is going to start at after the rainstorm. And uh, that would be like 11.30 p.m. And I was like, baby, I don't care if you've already reached your limit on games. I'm going to go to this game. Yeah. Whether or not you want to go with me is your business. Because it's going to go until like probably 3 in the morning. <clears throat> and, um, and it did. And it was great. And there was only probably 1,000 people in Wrigley Field. And I sat in, in the center field uh, bleachers, and you, you could hear the umpire making the calls. Oh, I bet. Yeah, from center field. Wow. You just, you, there was no one there. You could hear the sound carry. And then people were yelling nasty things at the um, McClutchen, the Pittsburgh center fielder. Oh, McCutcheon. Yeah, McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon. That's the only time I've ever seen in a Major League Baseball game where a player turned around and, like, uh, shrugged and went, hey, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you know I could hear you. <laughs> yeah. That's my mom you're talking about. Uh, I want to hear the story. Uh, okay, you told, talked about Jim Palmer, the underwear. Pete Rose. You got oh, to yeah, Pete yeah Rose. I, I met Re- Pete Rose recently. Yeah. We, uh, we only talked about baseball the last time I was here, so I guess we're doing a repeat. No, no, no. <clears throat> well, I was in... Um, Las Vegas last month, and, you know, um, I used to hate Las Vegas. Las Vegas can be fun if you have a little project for yourself. Like, you know, all of the world's great chocolatiers have uh, shops in Las Vegas. You could go to Las Vegas and just have a, uh, a, a, um exquisite chocolate experience. Yeah, I suppose. All yeah. the Swiss and French, uh, German, Belgian chocolatiers all have a little shop there. So... Um, Pete Rose, I know, signs autographs. Yeah. So I made it my little project. I was going to go see him and get him to sign this book <clears throat> that I have from 1976 called Pete Rose Winning Baseball. And uh, I got there. <clears throat> He's looking at his phone the whole time. And uh, it was like an autograph shop where they sold sports memorabilia. And normally it costs $150. And I sweet-talked the woman at the register. And I said, I'm, you know, the comedian headlining at Brett Garrett's Comedy Club and blah, blah, blah. So she let me do it for 75 bucks. If it would have been 150 I wouldn't have done it. So um, <clears throat> I go. He, 
you know, looked at me like, because obviously I'm not like a collector, because it's an old book that I brought for him to sign. Yeah. And uh, I told him I was a comedian. He goes, wow, that's a tough profession, you know. And uh, and I, I said something to him. I said, I used to emulate you in Little League. And he goes, you used to dive head first? And I said, yeah. And uh, and then he, he told me at the end, uh, uh, he goes, good luck with being a comedian. Always keep out hustling everybody else. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of good advice from a, you know, convicted gambler who will never yeah, be in the right. Hall of Fame. <clears throat> keep your nose clean. But also what was interesting was uh, Brad Garrett's Comedy Club at 8 o'clock, they only do one show a night, 8 o'clock. So it's really great. <clears throat> You're done at 9.30. And... Mike Tyson, in the same room, was doing his um, one-man show, The Undisputed Truth. So I got to meet Mike Tyson, and I took a photo with him, and I put it on Facebook. And I had two friends from England, one woman and one comedian friend, uh, got indignant and kind of pissed off on the comments. And were saying, how dare you take a photo with a rapist? And I was are you kidding me? Really? I mean... Uh, I find nothing more disgusting than the, the, the idea and the thought and the criminal act of rape. Uh, and and uh, a few years ago when comedians were doing, there was the controversy of rape jokes. Me personally, I, I don't find rape jokes funny. I know people who I love who have been raped. Uh, personally, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't go anywhere near that topic in my comedy. Yeah. Uh, and Mike Tyson... Uh, and I wrote them back and said, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the man served his time in prison. I, I think he did three and a half years uh, in prison. He converted to Islam while he was in prison, and he's now married and has five children with the woman uh, that he married since his conversion to Islam. I think um, he's not an active participant in this heinous activity anymore. Yeah, And it just... Uh, you know, the guy writes me back, okay, flash forward 20 years, would you want Oscar Pistorius's photo? And I wrote the guy back, I wouldn't have wanted Oscar Pistorius's photo <laughs> at, at his peak prime. No, but no. <laughs> you know? I don't think that guy should have run in the Olympics. He had fake legs. True. He should have been in the uh, Special Olympics. The Blade Runner. The Blade Runner. Yeah. I knew that guy was a murderer. I'm kidding. Um... <laughs> But, yeah, it's just funny what people get indignant about. I've been doing a joke about um, – because it's a modern phenomenon about, as a comedian, that you tweet something and people get upset about it. And so it finally happened to me a few weeks ago. I was in New York City, and I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Mm -hmm. And I am a big fan of the Italian painter Caravaggio. And there's like five Caravaggios at the Met. Okay. And I went to the Caravaggio section, and there's a Caravaggio painting of the Christ child and the Virgin Mary. And I'm looking at this painting, and I just felt that Jesus' dick was kind of small. So I took a photo of it, and I tweeted, me personally, I'd have given Jesus a bigger dick. And all these people got upset and were tweeting that I was blasphemous and out of line. And, you know... You can believe in a little dick savior all you want. <laughs> the Jesus I believe in has a donkey dick. Damn right. He's got a big, huge, beautiful cock. Mm -hmm. My prince of peace is bringing a hammer. So um, it's just funny. Like, that's the thing now. People get upset. I mean, even friends on Facebook. Do you, do you think twice before you hit, you know, send or whatever, you know, enter, post? No. No, like, uh, you know, there's going to be no, one I'm a dickhead good person that's going to get pissed about My this. job is to, um, uh, to you know, uh, bring laughter and goodness to humanity. So I know my overall mission um, negates any little petty, petty bitchy um, commentary. Yeah. How do you handle that when it ever happens after a show? Someone has even I've the most really minor complaints. Yet. I mean, in, I mean, I remember in Indianapolis in the. Early aughts, I had an Iraqi veteran come up to me, and he was crying. He said he didn't like my anti-war jokes. And then the more I talked to the guy, I knew he had seen a lot of death 
and had been rattled. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the guy cried to me, and we hugged. And wow. uh, it, it was more than my words that upset the guy. Yeah, right. What upset him was what he had experienced. Right. Holy crap. Yeah. But no, that, I mean, I, there's a video I put on YouTube if you type in Tom Rhodes crushing a heckler. Oh, yeah. Uh, this guy, and this guy was like, he was drugged up. He was coked up and drunk. And he was like some UFC fighter kind of dude with an affliction shirt on. I mean, that shirt shirt was out of style before he left the store that he bought it in. And on one bicep, he had, uh, barbed wire tattooed. And then on his left bicep, he had, um, Maori tattoos he didn't understand. No, of course not. And so, and he had been like heckling and screwing up the show. And at the end of my show, I just... I'd made the decision to ignore the guy while I was on stage. And then he just kept cutting off the joke on that sweet spot of silence Mm -hmm. right before the punchline. And then finally I'm like, okay, buddy. And so I just unloaded a verbal barrage of humiliation on the guy. And he stood up and I thought I was going to... I had two older brothers who beat me up relentlessly. And um, I know how to push a bully's button. And my uh, my uh, my tongue uh, it, it can be a vicious weapon, and I know there's a certain combination of words that if you say to a certain type of man, he has no choice but to beat your ass. Yeah. And I said those words to this guy. Called him a pussy. Well, I you know could just questioned his. Watch the video. <laughs> and I, I, think and I, I have. And I don't the, the guy stood I will up, and I, I felt like a matador in front of a bull. Yeah. And I just, like, lifted my arms. Ole. Like, okay, I'm here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm waiting for you to punch me. And he hesitated, and he, he didn't do it. So, th- th- I mean, th- that's, that's not the same as someone getting upset at right. something that you've said, a topic. or. Is your, uh, I have a question about, like, I think one of the, your wife was with you here. Yeah, she's been with me a few times. Here. Yeah, this you traveling alone now that you have a home. Yeah, I flew here. Yeah. So I'm, instead of going on, instead of every week going to a different city, um, now I'm only doing one or two weeks a month on the road, like a normal American headliner. Yeah, imagine that. Where, you know, for the for ten years, I there's just so much work. You know, I would go to Asia for a month. I'd go I, uh, three years ago. I, I went to New Zealand for a month. Uh, you'd go to Australia for a month and then like, it was just easy to book like Chicago, Minneapolis, Madison. I would do these blocks, yeah, you know, and then like we would do, um, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco and like stop in Montana for a couple weeks. Uh, those kind of things. I mean, I've really, uh, enjoyed my life to the fullest. Yeah. Was it difficult finding a... a I don't know if it's called, if I should refer to it as settling down, but was it difficult finding a, this is where we're going to, you know, this is going to be our home after that long? Were, you, were your uh, standards so high, or was it easy to find something? Um, well, my wife loves Los Angeles. It's her, um, she's the reason why we moved there, you know. Um, I wanted to move back to San Francisco or, or maybe back to Europe or something. Hmm. And, um, you know, you, you could get, <clears throat> I, w- I played in Barcelona a couple years ago. You could buy a one-bedroom apartment in Barcelona for like ninety thousand bucks, USD, baby. Yeah, that was a couple years ago. So maybe it's gone up to ninety-five, ninety-six <laughs> now. So <clears throat> it's been the best decision to move to LA. No, we uh, we got a great apartment. I live right next to CBS on Beverly on the in the Grove, and uh, big cantankerous thing about los angeles is the traffic and uh we just we got three grocery stores two movie theaters quentin tarantino owns a movie theater three blocks from me uh it's called the new beverly cinema okay and they only show old movies independent movies foreign films and then they do midnight showings of his films uh last week i saw reservoir dogs for the first time since 1992 When it came out. Wow. A great film. One of, the, <clears throat> one yeah, of then, my and favorites. Then, and then right now is like kind of the golden age of comedy in America again. And I forgot or didn't realize how many people love me. <laughs> you know? So I moved back to L.A. and it's like, man, I'm doing like two or three sets at the comedy store 
a week, two, three sets at the improv, um, you know, all these different places. Well, it's got to feel good. It feels great. And everybody, the best of the best are there doing sets every night. Bill Burr, Mark Marin, Judd Apatow, um, you know, Doug Stanhope when he's in town, Dave Chappelle when he's in town. Yeah. Chris Rock, the week before the Oscars, was at the Comedy Store every night working on his monologue that he did at the Oscars. And it was great to, to see it. Uh, one week before, it was kind of sloppy and all over the place. And then I got to see him run it like four times. Wow. And over the course of a week, how it tightened up and came together. And then to see what he did on the Oscars. So it's it's just like uh, I, I, I never cared for Los Angeles before. You know, I lived, this is my third time living in Los Angeles. Okay. 20 years ago, I lived in L.A. I had a sitcom. I lived on top of the Hollywood Hills, swimming in cash. Uh, Ten years ago, I lived in Koreatown, and I was broke, and um, it sucked. Now, it's like the Three Bears porridge is just right. Nice. Version of Los Angeles. Chapter three. And I I think my wife is a big part of that, because um, before I was single and dating knuckleheads, and now I've I've got, you know, a a great woman who loves me, and she's artistic, and... You know, uh, I'm making these knowledge nugget videos. Yeah, every I want to talk about that. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, that I film sitting in front of my massive book collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, put out my podcast um, uh, once a week, every Tuesday. Last week I had Mark Marin. Yes. Uh, you know, it was me talking to comedians all over the world and different people, uh, not just comedians. You know, I had Steve Wozniak. I had Kim dot com when I was in New Zealand. Um, you know, a lot of interesting people. Really loving L.A. We went, my wife and I, she's so cool, if you don't mind me um, uh, <laughs> emoting a little more. Do it. Uh, last year on Valentine's Day, we were in Washington, D.C., and I took her to a lecture on the Lincoln assassination. And, you know, uh, it's pretty nothing more romantic yeah, than romance thinking about a lead ball shattering Lincoln's skull. Right. And uh, last Sunday, we went to see uh, a lecture and book signing by Alain de Baton. He's a, yeah. in, even though he's a, it's, he's got a French name, but he's a, Alan. He's a, he's an, he, I call him Al B. <laughs> he has, um, uh, he's a, he's a philosopher. He's, he has this school of life, uh, these school of life videos you should check out on, on YouTube. They're uh-huh. amazing. And uh, I'm a big fan of his work. He's written books like uh, Religion for Atheists. Uh, He wrote one on the news, why humans have the need to watch the news every day and be obsessed with it. Yeah. He's a a brilliant thinker. He's the greatest living philosopher. What's the name? I'm writing it down. Alain? A-L-A-I-N. A-I-N. Alain. Yeah. And then uh, second word... Small letters, D-E, and then the third word, baton, B-O-T-T-O-N, Alain de Baton. De Baton. Yeah. I like it. He's really great. I like it. He's got thoughts on on everything. I watched, uh, those knowledge nuggets are cool. That's a great idea. Nice and not too long, not too short. Yeah, they're like two to five minutes. Yeah, uh, and I'll and I will tell you, and I bet a lot of people do this. You try to see if you recognize any of the books behind you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, what, can what I did see? you see? Da, da, da. Um, certainly nothing. I have. I saw. Uh, what were the ones? Um, a lot, a lot of Henry Miller. Uh, where where the chair is is positioned. Yeah. When I film it, uh, there's Henry Miller. I'm a big Henry Miller fan. Uh, a lot of Charles Bukowski, yep. big Bukowski fan. Um, Joseph Campbell's uh, "The Hero with a Thousand Faces." That's one of my favorite books. Um, I didn't see any comic books. No, no, no. no. I do have a few illustrated books. Um, Jimmy Corrigan, remember him? Mm-mm. Were you always a big? Uh, I'm curious. Were you always a big reader? Because I might. Yeah, my mom used to take um, me and my family, me and my brothers and my sister, uh, once a month we would go to the public library, and we could pick out whatever books we wanted. And, like, you're allowed, uh, you were allowed, like, four books for, like, 
for like a month period. Right. I believe whatever whatever the period was. I think it was a month. So I always found that really and this is before the internet when I was a kid. I just always loved books and that that idea of going to the library and then being able to get a book on any topic and then like be able to take it home and 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 you know read it, make love to it mentally. <laughs> yeah, right. Um you know, uh I always really loved that. So I think that's where my love of books came from. And now as I travel the United States, so basically my prized possessions that I had in storage was my book collection, my music collection, and like fam- personal photos and uh, memorabilia from like my career and yeah. stuff. So when I travel around the States, I like to go to used bookstores and, um, and, and like used record stores. Nice. And uh, it, it, it's 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 really awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to get my kids into reading more. They s- somehow they heard of uh, the colleges Yale and Harvard. Those are the two they know, and they're both. Well, no, I, one of them saying, "I'm going to go to Yale." I'm like, oh, okay. I go. You know, all these times when I encourage you to read and may ask you to go to the library, like I did yesterday, and you said no. Like you know, the, all the kids that get to that school, they read nonstop. You have to keep reading. Well, I mean, it, you know, it shouldn't be a chore because, like, so many friends of mine, I didn't, want, I didn't go to university because they weren't teaching stand-up comedy there. Right. I wanted to be a comedian. I started when I was 17. I was in 11th grade. I had a fake ID. Then my senior year of high school, I started doing, like, <clears throat> aside from the local club in Orlando, I would do one-nighters around Florida. And then when I graduated high school, I went on the road instantly. And... A lot of friends of mine who went to college and university, like I would, I would go visit them. Like I had a friend that went to Auburn, uh, another friend that went to Georgia, and uh, as I was doing the Southern circuits, I would stop off and visit my friends. And my sister went to Florida State, and the thing that always stuck in my mind is a lot of these people. I would always go, you know, what are you reading? What do you? Because I, I didn't, you know, I was like, I, I, I you know, like I, I bought the Norton Anthology of Literature and read. Uh, most of that because that was a, a big thing in the uh, university curriculum. Mm-hmm. Great shit in there. Wordsworth and, um, you know, William Blake. And um, anyway, these friends, they got out of school and decided that they hated reading and never wanted to read ever again because it was a chore to yeah. them to get through college. And, you know, I'm a big biography guy. I love reading biographies. And um, uh, I don't like fiction. I like mostly nonfiction yep. and like historical books, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, it, I've, I've had a lifelong love affair with books. And I think it's, you know, I think as a comedian, you got to put information into your your skull for the everlasting gobstopper to pop out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you got to be inserting ideas if you're, um, you know, whatever. Uh, playing video games and watching TV, how much are you going to get? Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> video games and TV. Absolutely. Are you um, specials, another special in your future? I have uh, the, the, the main reason why we decided to get uh, a place was because every week we would go to a different city and we didn't have time to reflect. Every city we go and there's another group of comedians to hang out with and there's there's you know museums and and different things that we want to experience. So uh I've always kept notebooks, I've always been writing things, but um I've been working on a book for the last 3 years about my life as a comedian and traveling the world as a comedian. And uh so my main reasons for us to get a place to live finally was so I can finish my book, which I just finished the first draft of. Oh, congrats. Um I, I hopefully that will um, come out next year. And uh, and then to focus on coming up with my new hour of material so so I can do my next special. And so I've got about 45, 50 minutes of solid new material for, for the new hour. So definitely... So I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of very happy in my life right now. Wow. Because it's, you know, jokes are currency and... Uh, and you know, you get in, it, it, it takes me a while, you know, and you, you, you know, when, when jokes start becoming, you know, comedy's like anything, it's like marriage, it's like, uh, 
relationships, um, careers. Uh, it, the trick is not letting it go stale. Yeah. And there's nothing more frustrating when you've been beating some of the same jokes for a couple years, and and then you eventually get tired of it. Yeah. And then it's like you want to vomit if these words come out of your mouth again. And uh, the opposite feeling of that is where I'm at now, where I've got like, uh, and it took a while to a, a, a lot of little seedlings of thoughts. The way they started took like a year or two before I could really turn it into an excellent bit and um so the opposite feeling is what i'm experiencing now and it's just like uh, i've got like uh, practically a whole new show damn and i'm just uh i'm smiling on stage i'm 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 giddy i'm happy it's my my life function yeah you know you uh i have a um well we sh- before we're done today we got to mention about what's going on here at acme Got to give an update on that with the um... people should rally, man. Yeah, because this we're sitting on the stage right now and, you know, Acme Comedy Club. I've been playing here for over 20 years. And the reason this club is so excellent is because of Lewis, the owner and his taste in comedy. This place survived when the comedy boom of uh I guess he took over 91 in the early 90s you know comedy the comedy boom collapsed and all these clubs went out of business only the best of the best survived and the reason Lewis survived was because of his taste in comedy he was bringing you know Louis CK here when nobody knew who Louis CK was now you look there was a I, he's on the cover of the New Yorker magazine this month and it says the most important person in comedy on it and um god anyone else uh you dave attell and uh you know greg giraldo who's now deceased uh anybody brian regan played here back then mm-hmm. now you know he's doing arenas i used to see gaffigan. I'm sure, uh, dave Chappelle. I used every, to see gaffigan here all the time jim gaffigan the the best in american comedy have always played here and then let's talk about the comedians who started here locally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitch Hedberg, who's re- revered as one of the all-time greatest comedians of all yep. time. Maria Bamford, mm-hmm. who now is, you know, one of the all-time greatest American comedians ever. Yep. Like, uh, heralded as a, a Woody Allen-esque type genius. Yeah. Uh, Nick Swardson started here. All these brilliant... Chad com- Daniels. Chad Daniels. Yep, um, I mentioned Chad. You know, I think not only should this place be uh, preserved, uh, there should be a historical marker in front of this place. Uh, This is a historic landmark, not only for local Minneapolis culture, Mm -hmm. but also for American culture Mm -hmm. and American history. And uh, for, for this place to be closed because someone wanted to build another condominium, across the street where the parking lot is would be a crime against humanity. Yeah. And, you know, I was mentioning San Francisco before. Uh, San Francisco the, it was murdered culturally because they priced out all of the cool people and the artists. And it's there, 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 there's not much flavor there anymore. It's just a bunch of rich, young tech workers. And, those, and they're inventing apps to have food delivered to your apartment. They're not creating the comedy and art and music that gives a city its culture and its right. flavor. Right. And Minneapolis is, is, is such a unique place, uh, one of the greatest cities uh, in the world, and for the unique art and culture and comedy that it creates, um, I, 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 I think, uh, you know, it would be a crime against humanity. Yeah, and uh, I agree with everything you just said. What you didn't mention is the... just. This building itself, uh, how great it is, you know, how accommodating it is for comedy. Well, and that's why everybody, it's it's got what, you know, low ceilings, dark room. I mean, look into the chairs. A lot of comedy clubs have shitty chairs. These are very comfortable, plush, A lot of people mention that. Chairs. Yeah, a lot of comics mention that. Maybe that's why the audience is always in such a good mood. They're comfortable. Yeah. But, um, you know, and these, like, ancient wooden pillars that that are, are holding this place up and the... Uh, the the granite Love rocks. It. It's all part of the charm. It's it's incredible. Mm-hmm. 
There's no windows. You're not going to be distracted by it by by looking. Outside. I've been here in the dead of winter, you know, and there's snow drifts outside, mm-hmm. and it's just this place packed mm-hmm. in the middle of winter, and everybody warm and cozy. Yeah, it's wonderful. Laughing, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. I want to. I have while I have the. Um, this is something that Acme sent out. Um, and this is some information people should have that goes along with what we were saying. On Monday, this coming Monday, if you're listening to this uh, soon, June 27th, Minneapolis City Planning Commission will determine the future of ACME. So if you have any interest, and if you're listening to this podcast, you if have you interest. If you are listening to this, probably on the 28th after it's been decided. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this, go, uh, there, go out, rally. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Don't wait for a local tragedy to make you go out and support your community. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. So, uh, because yeah. Because, you know, a, a place like Acme Comedy Company is what helps you get through tragedies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, my father was killed by a drunk driver in 2009. My sister died of breast cancer in 2011. And without comedy, I don't know what I would have done. And it, it's things like that. People forget the real essence of what comedy gives you. It helps you through tough times uh it helps you forget your problems even if it's just you know having some trouble at work or mm-hmm. or paying your rent mm-hmm. uh you know problems in a relationship to go and be in a communal setting with other humans and laugh uh is one of the most healing things in existence yeah and 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 year after year for the last 20 years whenever there's a top 10 list of top 10 best comedy clubs in America Acme Comedy Company is always in the top ten. Damn right. There was another one like a month ago I yeah. saw. And every comedian will tell you this is one of their favorite clubs. And you take away a place like this uh, from comedians and, you know, you're not going to have uh, people developing. You know, uh, your Maria Bamfords and your right. Mitch Hedbergs mm-hmm. and uh, your Tom Rhodeses. You know, this, this place is crucial to American comedy and American culture. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it kind of goes beyond Minneapolis, but it's up to Minneapolis to save this motherfucker. Absolutely. Please, please do what you can, everyone. Pitchforks. Yeah. Uh, uh, burning mops, whatever, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Set tires on fire. No, don't do that. That'll be bad for the environment. <laughs> that was Tom Rhodes that said that. The good guys have to win sometimes, Justin. Yeah. It can't just be rich corporate pricks uh-huh. that dictate all of life for all of us. Agreed. You know, the good guy, the little guy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Lewis, I, you know, that, uh, his taste in comedy, he's only, it's his, his taste and booking of just top quality because there was a lot of really shit comedy uh, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And his eye and his taste is what made uh, is what put this place on the map. If any, anyone needs an example of uh, the popularity and success of this place and how much it means to people, uh, the nights where there isn't a nationally national headliner here, you know, uh, on a they're closed Sunday. Monday's another the other night that they're open where there isn't a headliner. It's open mic, and this place is packed. And you will see people that are coming up on stage for the first time ever, and people that have been that have had specials on HBO, and that you know are back in town just to work some stuff out. But they come here because this is their home club, and it means something. I to feel them. like this is my home club, and I'm not even from here. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I and you're not alone in that. There are others that say that as well. So. Well, we did what we could in this little bit of a amount of time, but I hope people show up for that. Um, All hail Minnesota! Damn All right, hail Acme Comedy Company. Damn right. Are you? Uh, is there anything else we should be mentioning? Are you selling? Do you bring things to the show to sell? No, I don't no. like to sell things. It, no. Nothing twists my guts more than to get off stage and stand by the door and try and squeeze another ten or twenty dollars <laughs> out of the audience. Yeah. No. I'm grateful that they came, and, you know, um, if they want to buy my stuff, it's available on iTunes and wherever things are available. And your uh, podcast is going strong. You just did a 200th episode. 200th episode. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. Tom Rhodes Radio. Tom Rhodes Radio Smart Camp. And then you got the uh, the Knowledge Nuggets. Knowledge Nuggets every Friday on my YouTube channel. So uh, check out TomRhodes.net. Yeah. Follow me on Twitter. 
What's the next? What's uh, like my fan page on Facebook? There we go. Give me one last <clears> thing, your brother. What's the next uh, knowledge nugget coming out? Do you have so many in the can you don't remember? Uh, you know that what? you just actually film it? Uh, that Jim Palmer poster I think might be the next. Oh, one. really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's about celebrity autographs. Oh. Was was uh, I think that's the next one? Um, yeah, yeah. That's, okay, that's the next one. <laughs> I want to do one on gay marriage. Um, <clears throat> the you know I was really affected by the Orlando shooting because I'm you know from Orlando and you know I think gay people make life uh, wonderful mm-hmm. you know um, it, it, it it seems to be a pattern with the terrorists uh, it's a war on happiness you know a concert in Paris a gay nightclub in Orlando I mean it could be a comedy club one day mm-hmm. you know heaven forbid. But it's wherever people are gathered having a good time. Yeah, is is uh, is where um, these terrorist things happen. Um, I'm doing a benefit in uh, I don't know what was the thought that started this. Um, I'm putting on a benefit in Los Angeles, July seventh, for the victims of the Orlando shooting. Oh, you are. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Bill Burr's going to headline. Uh, I asked Dave Chappelle. He's a maybe. And Wanda Sykes are going to be on it. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, there was some other point that I wanted to make. Well, I'll I'll just say that, yeah, uh, it's been a bad run for Orlando. Yeah. I mean, that weekend. Yeah, and then, yeah, that that girl got shot. Christina Grimey was murdered uh, by some psycho troll fan. Yeah. Weirdo. And then the uh, alligator snatched that two-year-old kid. Just so amazing. Yeah, been a pretty rough week for my hometown. <laughs> I just saw on uh, social media this morning that a friend of mine, Kat Perkins, who was on the same season of The Voice as the Christina that was uh, killed, she just released a oh, song. Oh, I saw that. She did a song. She did a song. My Angel. Or yes, and all like the proceeds are going to go to, uh, to Christina's family. So uh, people should check that out as well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, we did it. We did it. We did it. Um, hopefully, the uh, if you go to the Twins game, wear a Twins cap, and I hope they win one for you. I will be wearing my uh, gay pride rainbow flag. There you go. Yeah. We need to protect our uh, precious gay community, uh, and we need to limit the number of bullets in the magazine clips that go on to automatic weapons. Oh, yeah. If we can't get rid of automatic weapons, they at least need to limit the bullets. In the magazine clips. And they should at least throw the citizen that bone. Because as a citizen, all I ask from my government is the chance, on my, is the chance to tackle my executioner should he happen to reload. No shit. And yeah. I don't think that's too much to ask. I don't think as so As a citizen. Either. You know, last... Uh, Just give me that one chance, that 10-second moment to either run or tackle him mm-hmm. when he reloads. I, it's, it's sad <laughs> when this shit happens because then you, you know, any, things that you don't normally think about. I was walking down uh, downtown Minneapolis few days ago and i walked past a building uh by a door that uh a door to a building that wasn't uh you know there's no one around all there was in front of this door was this weird looking package and then there was like a piece of cardboard leaning against it and i thought you know i know that that's not some bomb or something uh but the fact that i even looked at it and for a half a second was like what if that's something that should be reported i don't know right. but then i looked at the building and thought i don't think there's any there's not enough people in here for anyone to care this wouldn't be the place okay i remember i want that, that's what i was going to say i want to do an, uh, my next knowledge nugget next oh. week uh that was where i was going okay yeah i'm glad i'm glad cuz i, I would have left here and went oh fuck that's good. what i was trying to say good good the next knowledge nugget uh, i want to do on gay marriage uh june 26th is the one-year anniversary of marriage equality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think um, it was easy. Eh, a couple of gay guys, when did they get married? It was not easy. The case that went to the Supreme Court that got uh, marriage equality was a guy in Cincinnati named Jim Obergefell. Uh, I might be pronouncing it. It's a very difficult name. Obergefell. Sure. He Schoberg. was with his dedicated partner, Arthur, for 20 years, and his partner um, had MS, that uh, debilitating disease that Richard Pryor had. Mm -hmm. It's it's a terrible Mm -hmm. um, way to watch someone you love wither uh, slowly to their ultimate fatal demise. And he wanted uh, to—he was denied, like, visitation in the hospital throughout the illness, and then he wanted to be able to— 
have his have have his name on the death certificate or something like that. That's all he wanted. And then the people of Cincinnati, their hatred uh, towards um, gay people, they said no, no. 2012, gay marriage was made legal in Maryland, and Jim Obersfeld flew his lover, Arthur, to Maryland in the last stages of his life. Yes. They got off the plane. He married him on the tarmac, and they flew back, and uh, the people of Cincinnati said, no, you're not married here. And you can't have your name on the death certificate. So that's all he wanted. You know, if if the if Cincinnati and the people of Ohio would have given the guy uh, that one, you know, uh, right that anyone is entitled to. Yeah. Uh, it, it, he just wanted their love story recognized, that they were together and that they had a love story yeah. like, like anyone. Mm-hmm. And so that is the case that went to the Supreme Court that made marriage equality uh, legal. So anyway, that's probably next week's knowledge nugget. Keep an eye out for that one, <laughs> Tom. You're one of my favorites. Man. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. And uh, I, you know, wait for a year, and uh, you come back. We'll do this again, and maybe I'll have a go to you again. And you no, don't do me. it. Man. You know, <laughs> I heard. No, keep your uh, youthful face exposed. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right, brother. Long may you run, brother. Here we go.